From a fruit market in Tel Aviv to a fish seller in Taipei, the people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Later on this hour, we'll be taking you over to Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. But we kick off today's program with a new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, September 3rd. I'm John Van Trieste and joining me here in the studio today is Catherine Wei. Hello. Up next, we'll be telling you about a brother-sister duo who have collected thousands and thousands of letters of support for Taiwan's medical professionals. Then, uh, how far can an Ivy League brand really go? We know that uh, internationally, these are well sought after schools, but uh, unfortunately, when it's done in a domestic way, it doesn't always attract as many students as you might expect. And we'll also be telling you about how COVID-19 could see what was once one of the world's busiest flight routes make a comeback. All that in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Though it is Ghost Month still here in Taiwan, uh, this year we've seen a number of events either modified or scaled back due to COVID-19. Here's another event that's had to change a little bit this year. It's not due to the pandemic, though. It's not. It's because we had a typhoon approaching last weekend. And also, I, I guess mostly because of the typhoon, the waves were intensely big. So this was in Jilong. It is a port city in northern Taipei. And Jilong has a ghost festival celebrations uh, that last over a month. But the big thing was on Tuesday night. Um, people, locals would light uh, beautiful lanterns on fire and then push the lanterns out to sea. And the further they float, the better your family will prosper. Hmm. And it's, a, you know, a, a lot of uh, these ghosts are unfortunate. And, uh, you know, you never know how someone may have gone. Mm -hmm. So you got to count all the people who may have died at sea as well. Yeah. So uh, so there, fortunately, I guess we should clarify, we did not get hit by this typhoon. It was, looked like a real monster. Uh, it passed us by, though, gave us a little bit of rain. And mm. apparently, uh, so did they have to cancel the lanterns altogether? Because that's what everyone looks forward to every year. I know. Uh, they didn't have to cancel, but uh, it wasn't as smooth as usual. The lanterns kept floating back to shore. The ghosts were rejecting their offerings. They probably were. And people were very worried um, because there was fire, there was waves, there was wind. Well, the waves probably put out the fire if they're big enough. Um, the I problem is if it gets too close to shore and there's like sort of a, some by the waterfront there, a sort of wooden deck. That could be a problem. Mm. I looked at the footage. It was just a group of frantic people trying to... to, to um, shove it back to sea shove the lanterns back to sea <laughs> they were on fire how did they do that yeah it was hard until they they got pickup trucks they, used, like, stick, they got pickup trucks how'd that happen it's the first ever time they had to to use a vehicle for help but how do they do spray them with water or tote? uh they towed them back 
to shore so they, and then try it again and then they got a crane to help a small well, crane. Well, hold on hold on hold on i'm, I'm <laughs> having trouble picturing this so me too they kept getting pushed by the wind and waves back to shore where do where, where do cranes and pickup trucks enter this story they had to like throw it a was lot, on a beach line out it was on a beach so i guess it wasn't too hard for the trucks to maybe back up to the to the shoreline right. and they got like what grappling hooks and like pulled um, them in it was attached that on the back of the truck was a little um tr- a little crane of some sorts it's like one like of the winch remo- yeah those things i have no idea what they are called but that's what they use they they attached so they um roped them back in and then but they were on fire though they were so, so they, they had do? to put out the fire first oh. it was it was a whole thing and then they had to relight them they had to relight them and there are 15 family clans that celebrate this together so each lantern is pretty big they're probably the size of a doghouse and a sizable doghouse mm, a palatial doghouse mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they had all the last names on it and mm-hmm. you just see some get carried out some get towed out and just a lot of confusion hmm. so i've only ever seen like the the watered down version where they give you little candles oh, and okay. when i was there for whatever reason i must have been there on the wrong day they it was like the city event not the private clan event and uh-huh. they were like a little kitty water slide Oh. And they would just kind of go around. And I was like, this is not the lanterns I was promised. I know. So I think they, they need to do a, a better job at getting the word out because... I mean, is this a private event or is it open no, to the public? No, it's not. It, it's the city's event. Like, they were, the family clans work with the city government. Okay. But I have seen different websites saying different dates. So I'm glad I wasn't there this year, though, because it sounds like a real... Uh, a, not a bit of a disaster. It kind of was. I, I feel bad for bloopers. them. But well, I'm also, I have a lot of respect for them. They they tried very hard. They're very beautiful. They are. They, are they made by hand? Do you know? Uh, I think they are. And they're yeah. like paper mm-hmm. arranged very beautifully. Um, they had them on display in uh, Taipei Main Station, ones that weren't getting lit up and burned. Oh, I yeah. missed that. Yeah, they're there was a little boy standing next to it in one of the photos I saw. He was the the lantern was taller than he was. So that sounds like a real conflagration on the high seas. You got you do have to be careful. I mean, this is also a major international shipping port as well. Yeah, it is. And you got to be careful where you're burning stuff. So well, so no, there was no injuries or. Hopefully, I no. They didn't say anything about it, but okay. I think. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely pays to be careful, even on the sea with, with flame open flames. Okay, let's talk about this school that tried to rename itself after an Ivy League institution in an effort to gain uh, some more students. How did that work out for them? Not well. Uh, This used to be just a private high school, but this year they also have a new middle school and a new elementary school. Mm -hmm. Like attached Uh, to them? Yeah. So okay. it's a, it's like K to twelve, I think. Right, basically, mm. uh, and they. But for some reason, uh, they decided to rename themselves Princeton. Now, can they get sued for that? I'm not sure. Um, well, they use it the has Chinese multiple titles. names in it. It kept the original name, which is Uda, but also attached Princeton to that very end. And then the elementary school is called Kingston International School, so they can't. They have a problem with too many names. They need to make up their mind. Um, but the, <laughs> the Princeton, I'm assuming, was a sort of a, a, a bid to attract more students. Um, so school began here in Taiwan after a long summer break uh, on August 31st. That was Monday, mm-hmm. I believe. And what happened? Uh, there was only one student who registered and paid his tuition for the elemen- elementary school. Wow. I, they, so. It says nothing about middle school, but this whole... Well, the, the whole Princeton thing doesn't seem to have... 
no, worked out for them. It didn't work. But I've seen cram schools, Buchiban, that also named themselves. Like Harvard, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, like, why don't they have, like, eagle-eyed alumni out there to tell them of oh, these people? Because they definitely <laughs> I know. are not licensed. They're not. This is, I don't know how well it works, though. Yeah, like, well, I have some, like, rules here. Apparently, there are maximum limits to the number of students you can have. 90 pupils for three classes, but there's no minimum requirement. So, uh, apparently, if parents of even one child reg register and pay their tuition, the school must organize classes. Mm -hmm. And the awkward thing is there were five teachers for this one student. Wow, so he's going to have five tutors. Five teachers, like, all to himself. Wow. And and what's especially surprising is, uh, where is this? Is it in Taipei? It is. It's in the middle of the city, so actually. So I'm wondering, like, are they just not very good at marketing? Are people confused by all the names? Like, in a rural area, we've had mm. lots of stories about schools having to close due to the you know decline in the number of children people are mm -hmm. having and, you know, migration to urban areas. But this is in the middle of the city, so they must just not... Yeah, and this is something brand new. They're trying to market this as international schools in Taipei, but the original high school was known to be a vocational school. So maybe a a, a, a sort of a pivot that hasn't really gone very smoothly. Too big of a pivot, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, it's not very international if there's only one kid. I mean, unless <laughs> his parents are from two different countries or something. No, so, but hopefully he's going to be getting the best of the best. A very international education yeah. <laughs> all by himself. Okay, well, we've got a very nice story about a letter writing campaign that has been a bit more successful than this school's recruitment <laughs> efforts. Right, so when COVID was at its scariest in uh, March in Taiwan, mm -hmm. uh, brother sister duo, I believe they are twins. They started a campaign to get as many letters as they can from fellow high schoolers. So these two are 16 years old and they reached out to high schoolers all across Taiwan saying, oh, we want to help encourage the medical staff who are working overtime and working on the front lines and who are probably very scared for their own lives. Not to mention that they have to deal with a lot of people who... Um I don't know. Like, there. You, have you heard these stories about like the chronic emergency room visitors, mm, or like the... people who like just show up to different different clinics because they just want a second opinion about everything? The part yes. of the uh, the issue about how cheap and afford you know affordable our healthcare is here mm. is that people sometimes abuse it, so they have to deal with a lot. Oh, they do a lot of um, elderly people are. I wasn't going to say that, but you said it for me, so yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, we, we know these people sometimes personally. Um, but yeah, so they organized the campaign and uh, through four months, I think, they had to stop because of midterms and end of terms exams. So responsible. I know, right? But they also, they, they kind of pared down on their own extracurricular activities mm -hmm. to organize the letters. They put them up on little posters to, for different um, different hospitals across Taiwan. They didn't just focus on the city hospitals. They went to rural hospitals, hospitals in the mountains. And yeah, they got up to over 3,000 letters. Wow. And that's surprising because I don't, that's probably the first letter half of these kids have ever written. I know. Now we're so <laughs> were used they actually to texting. Sent, were they actually sent like in the mail? They were. Wow. So these two stayed home after school and all they did was organize letters. Wow. And who did they send them to? That they, they had certain people 
Like, were the high schools asked to were they asked to write to their local hospital or just to oh, whichever no. one? They said to send them to the twins first, and they would just distribute redistribute mm-hmm. them at random. Yes. So they weren't writing to specific. No, just to medical staff in general. Okay. Oh, that's nice. That way you make sure, because there are some hospitals that are very famous, mm-hmm. and they, would, they get all the attention, you know. It's right. Nice to make sure. That's how this made it to the news. I think they were doing it um, relatively low-key, but mm. this hospital in Taidong that is probably used to not getting a lot of attention and resources. That's a quite, quite rural area. Yeah, they posted on, on Facebook saying, Aww. oh, look at all the letters we got. People usually forget about us all the way here. Mm. So this, yeah, they're reaching as many hospitals as they can. Wow. And did they get some to some of the hospitals on, like, for instance, uh, sort of offshore outlying islands, too? Those are other places where even, like, I don't know, they've 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 I've written a number of stories over the years about uh, donating sort of like helicopters for medevacs and things like Mm -hmm. that, because they are probably the least well supplied of all. That's true. uh, It doesn't say anything in the report, but so this is mainly focused on the rural hospitals in Taizong that uh, Taizong that felt very moved. But it does say that they try. They've so far sent these letters to over sixty hospitals across Taiwan, and they're working to get more. All right. Well, uh, fortunately, uh, COVID nineteen has sort of simmered down since then. But it's Mm. nice to still. You know, let our doctors and nurses and all the other people who look after us let us let them know how appreciated they are. Yeah. At one point, the uh, flight route between Songshan Airport, uh, the do- mostly domestic and a few international flights, just down the road from us here in Taipei, and the southern city of Kaohsiung, was one of the busiest. Uh, flight routes in the world. In uh, the world. Yeah, there was a flight taking off in one direction or another every 10 minutes at its peak in popularity. Then in 2007, we got the high-speed rail running down mm-hmm. the coast, connecting the two cities in under two hours, and it just became not very feasible. Uh, by 2012, there were only three flights per week round trip, and then the huh. last one flew apparently on August 31st, uh, so just over, how many years ago that was that? 2012. My math is bad. But anyway, it was uh, some time ago. ago. Yeah, they've just kind of, they don't really do that anymore. Mm. Um, I understand they were kind of like buses. but anyway. It was so frequent. Some buses don't even run that often. Yeah, but I mean, the two cities, now everyone takes the, the fast train. Yeah, it it's is. probably more eco-friendly. I mean, you know. It is, and it's but, only, what, an hour? If yeah. Not that many stops in between. It's, if you buy the expensive direct ticket. Yeah. Um, but the, the route may be making a comeback, and it Ooh. just goes to show you how desperate people are for some reason. Um, to I, fly? I, yes. I don't get this personally, um, but, I, you know. I don't like flying either. Me either. And, and like, to go through security and all that. We told you uh. about. So we've told you on this program about sightseeing flights, mm-hmm. about people actually just waiting in line to sit on an airplane that didn't even take off. That was a while ago, though. Uh, and people now are flooding flights to the offshore islands, which is the furthest you can get, really, without having to quarantine, mm-hmm. the, these domestic uh, puddle hoppers. Uh, now they may be bringing back the Taipei Songshan to Kaohsiung route for the first time in eight years. Oh, there it is, eight years. Um, and it, this is not definite yet, but there's a travel agency Uh, It's not named. That is planning a three-day tour package that would feature these flights. Uh, They would go from Taipei to Kaohsiung, 
for a look at the city, and then down further, and this would probably involve a, a bus ride to mm. Kanding. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. The beach resort ride. on Taiwan's southern tip. Uh, and this will be happening. This won't be a permanent thing. It's mm. probably at first just going to be over the National Day long weekend, which is over. Oh, it's October tenth. A month or so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they're going to charter. And this is amazing because at, towards the end of this, it says that the the flights were usually half less than half full. They uh. want to charter a one hundred fifty eight seat Boeing seven thirty seven to operate the flight. And. They're serious about it. They say if enough people book the tour and it's feasible, they're going to apply to the Civil Aeronautics Administration for permission to do it because uh, domestic charter flights can only happen at all, apparently, if mm-hmm. there are no scheduled flights on that route that are commercial, like regular that's commercial service. Well, what that's, it is so far, right? Yeah. yeah. These are like planes. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean... Just over one weekend, you'll have three... Planes with 187 people uh, each? No, just one. Oh, okay, just one. I was like... No, there were three towards the end of its okay. service, regular oh, commercial service. Uh-huh. This is just a one-time thing so far. Um, okay, okay. And it doesn't say if there's a return flight, but really, yeah, I would just take the train. Yeah, it saves a lot of time. And we carbon impact. <sighs> I know. I don't understand people's enthusiasm for having to show up to the airport two hours early to go through they security. so and desperately want to be in the air. It's amazing. I, well, to each their own. I mean, I'd have nothing else to say except that. Except <laughs> that. Even like, so I, okay, I can kind of understand the sightseeing tour because, you know, it's, we're pretty. It's, there's a whole movie called Taiwan from Above. That was done yeah. from a helicopter, but still. Yeah, you don't get to see Taiwan um, from above. It is a very beautiful island if you fly during the right time of, you know, day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. If you can get there by a train, why would you do it, honestly? Anyway, uh, it's planned. We'll see if it happens or not. Um, it will be uh, an interesting revival, though. And speaking of the southern sea of Kaohsiung, set construction is underway for an epic film trilogy. Um, it's going to basically tell well it doesn't say how far it will go back in history but uh it will at least tell the story of taiwan starting 400 years ago it doesn't Ooh. say up till when um this is from uh mm-hmm. who i believe was he the one behind sadiq bail yeah that was him that was another epic cinematic it masterpiece five hours at least that was the director's cut though the, yes. the one that was in theaters was, was shorter than that he also did kano which is another historic uh yeah, another historic epic. Trim to commercial lengths. This one, um, this one about a baseball team during yeah. the Japanese colonial period. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's big on historical films and very sweeping. Yes, dramatic. Dramatic, um, but factually based. I believe he's pretty good at doing extremely. research. Extremely, and this is why. So I was telling you they're gonna they're starting to build a set, right? Mm. So you're you've hit the exact point I was getting to, which is extremely meticulously researched. They're not going to start filming this for mm. another year. Oh, wow. They've started building the set a year early, and the reason is because they are reintroducing some plants that were common to the area where they're going to be shooting 400 years ago. Some of them, like trees, need time to grow. So they're starting a year early so that the trees, just the trees, will be ready for the shooting. That is method acting. <laughs> Dang. Not um, even fake plants. They're getting the oh, real no, deal. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, and they've also, they estimate that this set also includes uh, more than 30 houses, original design, of the local indigenous Siraya people. This is, I think, the first part of the Taiwan trilogy, at least, will 
mm-hmm. touch on them. Okay. Um, and the build of bamboo wood straw for, at the cost of about one million U.S. dollars. There's going to be a church, warehouses, and gathering halls too, because I think um, this seems to be focused around the southern part of southwestern mm-hmm. coast of Taiwan, around the time when uh, the Dutch came. So the sixteen okay. hundreds, and uh, there were also Japanese and traders, so Chinese pirates. The Qing a, Dynasty, uh, the Ming Dynasty, the transition mm, between okay. the two, and it's a very dramatic period. It lends itself to drama very well. Andrew's done not one but two dramas based on it. We had that we broadcast uh, the radio least, play. Yeah, uh, Tales of Dutch Formosa. That was a multi-part radio play we did here, mm. um, and then Andrew went on to do a different project also focused on that time period. Wow. Uh, this one a bit more fantastical. Mm-hmm. It featured a spinning top, if I remember right. <laughs> anyway, um, so it, yeah, definitely a period full of drama and interesting characters. Uh, the movie series, the titles that they have so far is uh, Taiwan Trilogy Siraya, that's the name of the indigenous group. Mm-hmm. Taiwan Trilogy Taiyuan, that was what the Dutch called their, uh, the, that was the name of this area that they settled. Uh-huh. And it's now Tainan. And Taiwan Trilogy Formosa, um, yeah, it's going to be, let's see. Oh, there's going to be a separate documentary too. So this is extremely ambitious. So four things are coming out of this. Um, and an animated version. <laughs> there's going to be an animation too. money and time are they pouring I into this? I don't quite know. He's finished the script for this though in 2001. So it's been on the back burner for a very long time. Wow. Um, he says it's it's his vision is it starts this is a quote it begins with Taiwan's entry onto the world stage and the world first setting its foot on Taiwanese soil and it depicts Taiwan's cultural pluralism which is true mm-hmm. or J- Chinese Japanese indigenous people Dutch people all sorts of mm. uh, and uh, it's yeah there's going to be the documentary is called Finding Formosa the animation is called Darami a Formosan fantasy both working titles those are expected to be released in 2024. Um, so I'm not Four sure. Years. And does it say when the trilogy is The first out? episode, Siraya, is also going to be released 2024. Okay. Uh, no word on the further two editions. Apparently the script is ready. They have already have some casting information. Okay, um, and they're getting the set a ready. A Japanese actor who uh, starred in the baseball film Kano that the same director did is coming back. Uh-huh. Uh, his name is Masatoshi Nagase. Uh, he'll be at least in the first episode. Okay. So, um, yeah, wow. this is all crowdfunded too. That's the most amazing really? part. Yeah, they have a. Then the, people really want to see these. You know, uh, we like seeing ourselves on the That's screen. True. People in Taiwan don't get to do that very often. I think often. he's doing good work. This is parts of history that no longer get talked about very often. Well, they do. Like I said, they've let themselves well to drama, but. Yeah, um, we covered it in history books, but not uh, honestly, not that much attention. I mean, to you're detail. not going to see a Disney adaptation focused on Taiwan no. or something like that. Or, you know, the Marvel Universe is, is diverse, not going to visit us anytime soon. But not that diverse. Yeah. So mm. this, is, this is like. I don't know. Um, I think it really has because, uh, like, Sadiq Bailey, that got some inter- major international recognition, mm. too. So uh, I think this does, however, have the potential, um, especially see, having seen this director's work before, of going beyond just a local audience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to, to recommend it. I look forward to seeing it. Um, and if the set is going to be that exquisite, he can keep it so I people know. now and people in the future can see what it was really and like. They spent so much time and money on it, too. Yeah. And That's... it's going to be authentic. Like, these are real plants that... Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know how they're going to get... I guess they're going to have to, like, get a, the, the zoo handlers to deal with the Sika uh, deer that used to run across in her herds. Oh, it's like the Lion King. Uh, those are now mostly in zoos or... or 
Yeah, they're not really in the wild like they used to be. They mm -hmm. were a major product of the era, so they're going to have some technical challenges, I imagine. CGI? That's what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a good start. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait till if we make it, to 2024, Ooh. to see how it turns out. I'm excited. Well, that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Catherine Wei. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. Hello and welcome to this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you for joining me. This week we got a bit of a special episode for you because it involves a Hollywood actor. Now I know what you might be thinking, uh, but no, an actor did not visit Taiwan. I know people get really riled up in Taiwan when that happens, but unfortunately with the pandemic going on, travel is restricted, even for the rich and famous. However, Hollywood actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt made a stir on social media in Taiwan when he asked for pictures from the country for his own website, HitRecord. Now, he drew a lot of attention from regular members of the public, but more notably, a lot of uh, city mayors wanted in on a piece of this action, so they actually responded to Levitt's post. We'll be looking at that today in this week's Hashtag Taiwan. All that and more coming up next. Don't go away. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about the movies Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, and G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. What do these three movies have in common? Are they all Christopher Nolan movies? G.I. <laughs> Joe, The Rise of Cobra, a Christopher Nolan movie. Don't insult the man like that. All three of those movies have this guy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Now, if you don't know who he is, I assume you don't watch many movies because he's been in at least 51 films since 1992. Anyway, what did JGL do? Did he come to Taiwan? No. Did he say something about Taiwan? No, but he did bring a lot of attention to Taiwan. This is the website HitRecord. It is a media platform Levitt founded in 2004. Earlier this week, Joseph Gordon-Levitt posted this to Facebook. Hi, friends in Taiwan. I'm looking for photos of Taiwan for a new project on my site, HitRecord. Look through your camera roll, find a cool photo taken anywhere in the country, and add it to the project here. Kiki Shen captured this shot at the 2016 Taiwan Lantern Festival in Taoyuan. People in Taiwan love two things, Hollywood actors and Hollywood actors talking about Taiwan. As of writing, Levitt's Facebook post has over 32,000 likes, 6,600 comments, and 5,600 shares. Lots of people wanted to show Joseph Gordon-Levitt the beauty of Taiwan, but most notably, many city mayors shared their cities with him. Here are a few. Deputy Mayor of Taipei City Huang Sansan shows Joseph a picture with the caption, Beimen, Taipei City Wall North Gate has been the front gate of Taipei since the 1880s. It is one of the five gates that has been left behind. It still has its original look. 
The gate has stood strong for over 120 years and awaits visitors like you to witness its history. Taipei welcomes you. Next, New Taipei City Mayor Ho Youi uploaded a picture saying, Hi Joseph, as mayor of New Taipei City, I believe our city will definitely be a good choice. Let's check out the park with the longest embankment in Taiwan. The New Taipei Metropolitan Park, an inclusive playground for all, is one of the most popular outdoor playing fields in Taiwan, with slides measuring 800 meters in width, as well as artificial turf for grass boarding. 800 meters in width? That's wider than the river! You must be length! Taoyuan Mayor Zhen Wenchan uploaded this picture and said, Hi Joseph, explore the people, nature, and culture in Taoyuan. Photo taken at Shimun Reservoir, scenic lake view surrounded by stunning mountains and characteristic pavilions. Mayor of Xinzhu City Lin Zijian posted this picture and said, Dear Joseph, this photo was taken in the Xinzhu fishing port where breakwaters, shaped as fish scale stairways, attract countless visitors from far and wide to enjoy the gorgeous sunset and sea breeze there. Looking forward to welcoming you in the not too distant future. Taichung Mayor Lu Xiuyan let her picture do the talking for her by simply writing Gaomei Wetland, Taichung. Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe uploaded a picture of this whale structure and wrote Joseph Gordon-Levitt a whole essay introducing the attraction. I have one more entry that I'd like to share with you and this comes from presidential office photographer Makoto Lin. Lin was responsible for taking an epic shot of President Tsai Ing-wen during her second inauguration which we used as a cover for an episode of Taiwan Insider. Lin shared this breathtakingly symmetrical shot from inside Taiwan's Grand Hotel. As nice as it is that people are participating and sharing photos with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he did ask people to upload their entries to his website in the post. So all y'all who just left a photo as a Facebook comment on his post, gots to go fix that, like, right now. And that's it for this week's edition of Hashtag Taiwan. I do hope you enjoyed that. Anyway, until next week, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you again soon. This week, we saw some disturbing images of what Taiwan may look like underwater. That's right. It was a simulation by Greenpeace, which is warning that some 2 million people in Taiwan, or nearly 10% of the population, could be displaced by rising sea levels by the year 2050. If something isn't done about global carbon emissions, over 2,000 square kilometers of land in Taiwan will become flood risks by 2050. That's the latest from a report conducted by environmental NGO Greenpeace. Carbon emissions are responsible for global warming, which cause ice sheets to melt into the ocean, in turn prompting sea levels to rise. Taiwan will become more susceptible to storm surges wrought on by typhoons because of rising sea levels. Greenpeace says that currently global sea levels are rising by about 1.9 millimeters a year. If trends continue, then sea levels in Taiwan will rise by 0.56 meters by 2050. Under that circumstance, sea levels may rise by as much as 1.62 meters during storm surges. This would negatively impact densely populated areas. The rise in sea levels poses a safety threat to people living in all six of Taiwan's major municipalities. 750,000 inhabitants in New Taipei City alone would be affected. Greenpeace is calling on all local governments to evaluate how climate change will affect their areas and make adjustments as needed. 
It says that climate change is already a huge threat and immediate response is necessary. Joining us with more details is Catherine Wei. Hey, Catherine. Hi. Now, you looked at uh, some of the specific places that could be affected by rising sea levels, and some of those places were in southern Taiwan. We saw some historical sites in Tainan on the list, also an arts uh, center in Kaohsiung. But some of the places were also right here in our backyard. Yes, and it may be hard to believe, but the presidential office and the Songsan International Airport might be underwater in 30 years' time. Well, that's hard to imagine. So um, what is Greenpeace saying about how Taiwan is dealing with this problem? Uh, Greenpeace is saying Taiwan's not doing that great of a job, and it's not just Greenpeace who's saying this. Taiwan has been ranked at the bottom in a few climate change rankings, including the Climate Change Performance Index, which uses data from the UN. We ranked third to last in 2019. But the government says that these organizations are using old or incorrect data. Taiwan hasn't been able to correct them because it is not a member of major global organizations like the UN. Well, thank you for that. And that's this week's Taiwan Explained. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Today I'm at the home of Yan Yan Wu and Colin Gao, who are the creators of Dim Sum Warriors. This is a um, comic book series. They're actually originally from Singapore. But uh, they had spent the last uh, 20 years in New York, and they've been here in Taiwan for two years. I've always wondered why they're here in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, why are you here in Taiwan? By happy accident, I Happy think. accident, yeah. So we arrived in Taiwan because I was invited by Zhongyang Daxue, National Central University, to be a visiting professor. Um, and then we came and fell in love with Taiwan and decided to, to stay. And um, we also came with our daughter, and when she was here, yeah. Yeah, she arrived and she knew zero Chinese. And it turned out to be a really good place to, to learn Chinese. Right, yeah. yeah. So she started from zero and now she's doing very well. The teachers are fantastic. And we thought, you know, this is a, a good place for her to, to learn more about being Chinese and to learn the language. Good choice, very good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so now actually, Colin, you are a lawyer. Yes, I mean, Yeah, and then now you're doing comics. <laughs> well, uh, yes, my, my, my parents obviously also keep asking that question. Comics has always been my, you know, my passion, passion. Ever, ever since I was a kid. Um, and I started cartooning professionally at 17. At that time, it was just not possible in Singapore to, to make a living doing cartoons. It, it just didn't exist as a possibility. Yes, but, they rely heavily on you know, good education in Singapore. That's what we learn too. Yeah. I think for most middle-class families, the path is always in you know, all the shoes, right? To be a teacher, to be a lawyer, to be an accountant, um, doctor. Um, yeah. Same here. So <laughs> the middle-class families, it's always like that. So I think that's a path that he, he went yeah. on to be a lawyer. Yeah, it just didn't exist. To me, it was always like, oh yeah, it's, it's something I could do as, as, as a hobby. But times change. When we first left for New York, we had just gotten married. We both actually went there for graduate school. 
So I went there and I got my master's in law. I didn't go there for cartooning. Uh, <laughs> I had been practicing for a few years in, in Singapore. And we went uh, to New York. I, we both went to Columbia University. I got my master's in law and she went for her uh, doctorate in education. But we also noticed that, you know, the arts, you could make a living. That's very encouraging here. And I think Tony's parents need to hear this. <laughs> It's, it's right. not easy, but it's, you know, no, no career is easy. None of what we learned in law or uh, education, it's still very useful in, mm. in the arts. Mm. You don't have to be one thing. That, that's also a lesson we, we learned from our time in New York. You don't have to be one thing. You mm. can be many things. So yeah, uh, we decided to channel all the things that we knew into whatever we wanted to do. Right. So that's how we stumbled into filmmaking. We didn't go to film school. Yeah. Actually, we started by, we, we made a website that was hugely popular in Singapore. So we were getting like 4 million hits every month on this website. Yeah, we got um, covered in Wired. What's on the website? Okay, so it's satirical humor. So the, the name is a little bit, um, so it's called talkingcock.com. Uh -huh. um, so it was a very well-known site in Singapore. Um, and and um, it means uh, uh, to shoot the breeze with friends, like to chat with friends. Um, it's a bit naughty. It's a bit naughty. Um, and then we had also, so we, we satirical humor about life in Singapore. So we were away and missing Singapore. So we created this website um, and then it got hugely popular. And a key feature of the website is actually a crowdsourced Singlish dictionary because we were we really love Singapore English um, <laughs> and we enjoy it so much. Uh, so it's, it's usually very funny. It's, yeah, it's a funny and, mix of languages. Mm -hmm. uh, and when our friends get together, we kind of like break into Singlish. So we're like, we should, somebody should document this. So, so we decided to, a big feature of the website was actually the Singlish dictionary. So we called it, you know, how uh, we have the... Oxford English Dictionary. Yes. For us, because our website is talkingcock.com, we called it the Coxford English Dictionary. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so we collected multiple items from the people, and then it became a book, and it's been selling. The book has been selling, gets reprinted all the time till today. Wow. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah it's eighteen okay. years. Eighteen, 18 years, years in yeah. print. So. Oh wow. Um, you know, I'm thinking that my audience, I want them to know, for them to create the comics, you think that it's all just silly and fun, but actually you're incorporating this into education yeah. because you're in the education background, you're in law background. Anyway, you're making this into something that's positive, which is really unusual. So how did you guys, I mean, even now you've come up with... Um, what is it, dim sum book app? Book yeah, the, uh, app, com right? comic reader app. So we have the, the series that uh, you're looking at, the dim sum warrior. So mm. that book, that series is for ages 7 to 12, published by Scholastic. And oh. then we have another series, which is called The Little Dim Sum Warriors. Yeah. So this is bilingual. So it's English on one side and flip over and it's Chinese. You guys are really smart. Yeah. You know this. Amazing. Yeah. So, and then this, uh, it's coming out as uh, a comic reader app that's bilingual, helps kids learn English and Chinese. Um, we just want to make sure that kids grow up you know, globally competent, not just like learning languages for tests, but really having fun with languages, being able to express boldly and creatively. Um, so, so that's our goal with the Dim Sum Warrior. So the app is going to be launched soon, actually, probably by the time this airs. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is amazing. I wish that family with kids have known you earlier because... <laughs> You know, as it is, Taiwan is yeah. trying to become a bilingual country, but mm -hmm. here, you know, not a lot of time, but mm -hmm. uh, 
It means really um, telling Taiwanese people to be more bold about speaking English because mm -hmm. Taiwanese people are they're shy. Um, they're very friendly, but they're just shy and they're they're not very confident about their English. You know, if they had known you earlier, this would have been a great tool to really build up the confidence in learning it's, languages. It's not too late. <laughs> okay, true. It's never too late. As we yeah. found out, I mean, part of this was inspired by our daughter mm. uh, when she first moved to Taiwan because she couldn't speak Chinese yeah. very much. Um, and there were great teachers, but we found there weren't enough bilingual materials, I guess, that were fun. There was a lot of very traditional books, you know, very strong morals, mm -hmm. not, not very fun to read. Mm -hmm. So that's when we came up with the Little Tim Sum Warriors series. We thought, you know, we want something silly to say because that's what kids want, right? They want to talk in, in a funny way. They want to say, they want to tell jokes to their friends. And that's how we came up with the idea. Let's have fun stories um, right. that can be read in both languages. Mm -hmm. And it was important to be read in both languages because then the kids can also see the, the act of translation. Right. How things match up, and you know that's a uh... wow. And they learn translation right at the same time too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow, this is really great. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. So, can you tell us just exactly what kind of content <laughs> is in the comic? Like, you know, okay, give an so example. It's it's kung fu fighting dumplings, basically. Right. <laughs> Oh, and they have a so so they are the three cute dumplings. So the three cute dumplings is we love gangster dancing like like Hong Kong. I figured that out. <laughs> Cantonese dim sum. Yes. Um, and it's always you know for us it's always hanging out with family and enjoying dim sum together. So so the three key characters are Xia Jiao, Shao Mai, and Cha Sha Bao. Okay. So those are the three key characters. You um, have the English equivalent for those characters. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a barbecue a roast pork bun. Cha Sha Bao. Cha Sha Bao. Shrimp, uh, shrimp dumpling, which is a and pork and shrimp dumpling, which is a shaman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So those I three are the key characters, <laughs> yes. and then they battle uh, a pot of evil instant ramen, which is fang bian mian shang xiao. Who's so you know because. Fang bian mian is so you know, delicious. Mian is delicious but evil, but right? Yeah, there's no zero nutrition. Zero <laughs> nutrition, but so delicious. Um, okay. Yeah, so we realized that kids really enjoy the silliness of these three key characters, um, and then they. Uh, so the message is really, you know, so use your heart with everything that you do, because dim sum means a little bit of heart. Ah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of heart. Heart, yeah, Xin use is your heart. heart. Yeah. yeah. So the whole the whole book series has a lot of kind of our focus is really on global competence, right? So so things like what if you meet themselves of another culture? What happens? Like how do you how do you make those? Um, how do you uh, accept others as yourself? Um, how do you resolve conflicts with each other? So all the there are a lot of values which are communicated in a very hilarious and in mm. hilarious and fun stories. Yeah. yeah, and when after this came out, um, so we first published the the, the graphic novel series came first, okay. and um, after that, what happened was it got adapted into a stage musical. Yeah. In Shanghai. Yeah. In Shanghai. Uh, yeah. By by Lai Shenchuan. Right, who's Stanley Lai, who's yeah. a pretty popular. Um, 
stage director, stage musical film director yeah. from Taiwan. From Taiwan, from Taiwan, and went to China. Right. And so, but he met us yeah. in New York. Yeah. Oh. So we were introduced to him by our director, Mei An. Uh-huh. So Mei An is also Singaporean, based in New York. Um, and then Mei An connected us with Lai Lao Shi, Stan, and then Stan, and then they also, and then Mei An also connected us with our composer, who's Tu Yun, who's a Shanghainese uh, mm. American. Mm-hmm. And her, the, the composer. So we did, and that was in 2017. We premiered the. Uh, the musical mm-hmm. version in Shanghai, uh. and we were very lucky that year because Stu Yun, our composer, won the Pulitzer Prize for music. music yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was. So and then twenty eighteen, the show managed to tour twenty five cities in, in China. In China. So we we're watching. We we're like kind of looking at all these kids. We we're going on tour, and then seeing all these kids getting really excited about the dim sum characters, and then we we're like, we got to do something about this. So the year after that, so last year. Um, I left uh, academia, so I was a professor, yes. and decided to start Yamcha Studios in Singapore to really grow uh, Dim Sum Warriors as the company as an educational right. app, so that more people can enjoy the stories and use it for for learning. Wow, this is amazing. Now with the stage play, did you guys have a part in the costumes and everything? Because they're awesome. You know, they have we the headwear where yeah. it's a dim sum, the the, yeah. the food itself, so but then the costume. It's designed by the, uh, we have we have a wonderful designer from Hong Kong, um, Yoki Lai, and okay. she she designed the costume. So our our role was really as writers. So writers. we wrote, wrote the 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 book. Yeah, yeah. it was it was a very interesting uh, production because we had. Chinese people from all over the, the world, different parts of the right? Yeah. So we have Taiwanese, we had from China, yes. obviously, and even from the different parts of parts, China, from Taiwan, from different parts of China, China. and then, and then so, from Singapore, and you know, it, yeah. it's it's so it's really like Asian people from yes. all over the place. So it was very interesting because they we had arguments over what like there was one segment where we had to talk about the ingredients of Shao Mai. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had really regional arguments. So we're like, <laughs> no, Hong Kong Shanghai has pork and shrimp. And then the the Shanghainese people, no, it's got beef and nuomi, which is glutinous rice. Was this rice. made into a, an episode of its own? Because that would have been interesting. No, no, it wasn't. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, it's funny because now that I come to think of it, I love Shanghai, but. I don't even know what's really in it. Yeah. Like all I do is just care about eating it and just yeah. say yum, you know. And Shanghai is different in different places. Yeah. And Yotao is also different in different places. Oh, in I, some I places, Yotao, it's curled together. Uh-huh. In some places, there are two parallel sticks stuck together. Don't you think that food is an international language? I think, I think so. so. And I, I feel like in food, there are actually no enemies, and which is why we love working with food and sending our message of kind of, you know, Global peace through food. That is wonderful. So, what other aspects, education-wise, mm-hmm. that you've thought about? Because I think you two are very smart people, and you really. <gasps> And besides, you know, you're turning something into so positive and so educational and such high learning for kids and everything that even parents would approve 100%. How do you come up with these ideas? Well, you have a daughter to experiment on, I guess. <laughs> yes. And she gives you guys ideas as well. Yeah. So she's she does. Kid, yeah. You know? She does. Yeah. So 
it's just amazing. I don't think Taiwan knows this as well as maybe China or Singapore. Yeah, we, ha we haven't really started. Um, yeah. But then so, again, you've only been here two years. Yeah. Okay. So we, our work has been, so I do a lot of education research. And so in the research, it shows several things are very good for language learning. Uh, so for example, comics are fantastic for language learning. So the research has shown that. And the reason is because one, kids love comics, right? So they love to read it. Two, it's actually called multimodal learning, multimodalities. Um, and the reason is because comics, even if you, you can talk about very deep topics by looking at the graphics. So the learning is scaffolded and supported by graphics, by sound effects and so on. Want to learn more about the Dim Sum Warriors comic series? Well, tune in next week on In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.